0: Hey, my name is Brayden, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. Let's buckle up. I know it's early, but you had an incredible worship time, so we're all filled up. So with that, let's start off with a little quiz for the day. Sound good? Some of you are like, okay, my amygdala just took over, I'm in fight or flight, where's the door? Get me out of here at the word quiz, don't worry. Uh, What we're gonna do is we're just going to um, listen to some statements, and what I want you to do is just sort of roughly think, which one of those applies to me? Don't worry, you're not gonna be graded, no one's ever gonna know uh, what score you got, just you. So are you ready for that? So there are gonna be 15 statements, take a mental note of sort of which ones, unless you wanna do a tally mark or use your finger, I don't care. Which ones apply to you? Are you ready to go? So here we go for our quiz for the morning. Number one, do you need to know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and when it's going to (laughs) happen? Number two, do you have lots of personal rules, routines, and rituals? Number three. Do you like to help other people with things like driving, knowing where to turn, that the light has turned, how to depress the brake pedal? <laughs> Number four, do you have high standards for yourself uh, and others that either yourself and others don't actually tend to meet? They're too high. Number five, Do you prefer being the one to make the plans so that you can have an out? (laughs) Number six, do you dislike surprises? Number seven, do you have trouble trusting people? Number eight, do you devote a good bit of time and energy to keeping your personal environment organized? Number nine, do you give people unsolicited advice, suggestions, and even some constructive criticism to help them? Number 10, are you the one who takes over when a situation seems disorganized or confused? Number 11, do you find yourself a little bit critical of others? Number 12, do you dislike depending on others, accepting help from them, or allowing them to do things for you? Number 13, do you overplan overthinking lots of details? Number 14, I'm sure this doesn't apply to any of us, but do you struggle to admit making mistakes or being wrong about something? (laughs) Everyone's like, it's you. (laughs) And number 15, do you become irritable or anxious when someone or something makes you late, things don't start on time, or things don't go according to plan? (laughs) Okay, so how'd you do? How'd you do? Do you have a sense of what this little quiz was trying to assess? Anybody? Do you have a sense of it? What do you think? So, well, we'll just look at our little key here. So, if you got 12 to 15, should I make you raise your hands or not? Is it no? No? Oh, we said nobody would know. So, if you got 12 to 15, you're a control freak. (laughs) If you got 9 to 11, you probably have some control issues. If you got 5 to 8, you can live and let live. I'll tell you why, It might as well be dismissed for the morning. Just go, okay? (laughs) And if you got 0 to 4, who are you kidding? You're not being honest. (laughs) Obviously, we are looking to whether we have control issues or not. Controlling is a very common phenomenon, isn't it? It can be for myriad reasons, such as coming from an unpredictable or a scary environment, but in general, it is in order to maintain a sense of security. Folks, controlling behavior stems from anxiety or fear. Maybe you never realized that about the people in your life that you would assign this word to, or even your own tendencies towards this direction. When things feel out of control, it's natural to want to control them to feel safe or even content. So someone who has control issues is ultimately trying to keep from getting hurt and to feel secure. And so, honestly, just a note, controlling is very closely related to perfectionism. So if that is more your struggle you feel like, well that is also rooted in anxiety and fear. But of course, of course, we can't ultimately control others and situations ultimately, can we? So our efforts truly don't make us feel better. In fact, Controlling behaviors create problems in our relationships and make us feel frustrated and actually create more stress in our bodies and in our lives. God's pretty clear in the Bible how humans struggle to trust him and instead take control. So of course, our archetypes in this are Adam and Eve, and if you've never read that account, you can do so in Genesis 3. And if you've never heard of it, let me just tell you that they had everything they could absolutely want. They had idyllic lives. Literally, unbroken communion with God, unbroken fellowship with one another, perfection in their relationship, perfection in their uh, communication with God. And as Jordan said, in his first message their life was just overwhelming amounts of yeses with just one little no just one Ah, sea of yeses with just one little no and that was not to taste the fruit on the tree of knowledge but the temptation was too much and eve took control (laughs) and adam went along with it and so it has gone ever since We rebel against authority, we push against boundaries, and we feel quite indignant or upset when someone tells us we're not allowed to have something. (laughs) Isn't that true? If you've forgotten this human tendency, just spend a few minutes with yours or someone else's toddler this week. Another biblical example in 1 Samuel 13, so if you're taking notes, the first was Genesis 3, this is 1 Samuel 13. We see an example of King Saul taking matters into his own hands. God had commanded him to wait for Samuel to arrive before offering a burnt offering. But Saul grew impatient, and I think upon reading fearful, you can see it in there. And he offered it himself. Samuel had the opportunity to wait and obey God, but he chose to do things his own way. I feel it very interesting, very interesting, if you're looking at that passage and when you do, uh, I pray you do. Uh, the passage records him saying, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Isn't that an interesting word choice? Compelled. Oh, I gotta, I gotta, do, I gotta, I I gotta. Can you relate to that? It just seems like the thing I should do. It just seems like I should just fire off this text. I just, I just got to fire off this text. I just got to just offer my opinion here. I just got to spend this money this way or I just got to move this money. And it's okay because I just, I feel that. Compulsion. Compa- I just got to do what I think I got to do. What that sounds like a lot <laughs> is recorded in the book of wisdom that God gave us in Proverbs and in particularly Proverbs 3. Would you look at it with me? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what's that next phrase? Do you see it? hmm Lean not on your own understanding. I'd love for somebody to say that in your own words. What's the what's way that you would say lean not on your own understanding? That's kind of a phrase. I want you to pull it in here. Come on, don't thank you, my friend. Don't trust yourself. Like, like the way that we think things should go, just of course, that's they should just do this or they should just do that. My opinion is that way I think we should blah, blah, blah. That's leaning on our own understanding. And I love even just Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. They're like juxtaposed one to the other and I think it's a grid for life. Am I leaning on my own understanding or am I taking this before the Lord and trying to trust and see and plumb out what his ways are here? And I think Proverbs 3, 7, as you look further in that passage, uh, what you can see is this, that it gives us language for the result of controlling by doing what we think we should do. Do you see it embedded in verse 7? That we become wise in our own eyes. That when we keep controlling by compelled behavior, thinking we should do what we should do, we become wise in our own eyes. Hmm. Okay. That's really good. I love that passage and how instructive it is to us. So, another example in the Bible where we can see someone taking matters into their own hands is Numbers 20. Moses was told to speak to a rock out of which water would come to provide, honestly, for a weak and grumbling people, really. Moses was likely frustrated because of that. It says he was angry. And so, what did he do? Do you know it? He struck it instead like water. Get out, you know? I I think probably out of his human experience of frustration and anger, he struck it. Why is that a big deal? Because God told him to do what? To speak to the rock. And so the consequence of his striking the rock, friends, was that he never made it to the promised land. Now some people take big time issue with that. They're like, what? Isn't it like a big, I mean, the water still came for the people. He was leading them. The consequences in our lives for trying to control things may not be big or obvious at the time. But if we believe God's ways are his best for our lives, then in a sense, our control would get in the way of us living in our promised land where God is leading and providing and bringing water from rocks in our lives even as we grumble and complain. Thank you, thank you Jesus, that is true. Instead of relying on God, we are playing God when we control as these biblical examples depict. So, you guys are like, oh, this is great, Tam. Nice message. (laughs) But again, like I said, the fact that you all are participating in this series is like, oh, I love you. I pray you sense God's pleasure over you even now. So in one way, let's keep going in this challenging but ultimately freeing conversation. In one way, one of my favorite but... Challenging truths to hone in on is this. Here we go. What we try to control inevitably ends up controlling us. We're <laughs> like yeah. Now an obvious, now let this be very clear, but quick caveat here, is that we're talking about trying to control things that are not ours to control. Controlling situations where there's physical danger, controlling things like driving a car well, controlling your anger, these are different than what we are discussing, as was obvious in our opening quiz, yes? Can I? Yes? Yeah, thank you. So let's talk for a minute about how our attempts at controlling end up controlling us. Just one example, for example, in our society right now, huge and in many people's lives, is anxiety. Perhaps you have social anxiety. If so, you'd likely want to avoid it by staying away from social events. You'd cancel plans with friends. You'd call out of work, which could provide temporary relief from that anxiety, right? To the point where you might conclude that it works. But the reality is that if you do this too much, You've now started missing out on things that might have been beneficial or important or even meaningful to you. And when you start to realize that, even if it's just FOMO, what happens? What happens? Your anxiety kicks back in. And the next thing you know, you're anxious about friends moving on, events happening without you, or even being left behind or forgotten. So what, sorry, so what do you do to control this new form of anxiety? skip more things or withdraw even further or fall into Netflix binge after Netflix binge or drink a ton more or smoke a ton more to numb the feelings of it. So what you're doing, hear this, what you're doing is all because of trying to control anxiety and without realizing it, you've let anxiety dictate your life in the same way Just take this one. When we feel insecure and turn to people pleasing to try to diminish those feelings, this is the same issue. Right? Right? Because once we get the compliment or invitation to feel in or that our insecurity is gone forever, isn't it? No. No, it just actually increases the intensity to try to replicate our behaviors to keep getting what we've worked so hard to get. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Anyone who's honest and in touch with their own controlling behaviors can see that what lies on the other side of the supposedly empowering behaviors is frustration, disappointment, and honestly just plain exhaustion. Do you agree? The reason is because trying to be in control, especially of others, is a short game. It's a myth. How are you doing? Is this obvious to you or not? Why is trying to control people and circumstances in the realm of falsehood a myth? (laughs) We didn't create ourselves. You didn't create yourself, did you? You're not sitting here going, okay, heartbeat, beat, good job, next one, beat, great, super, excellent. Neurons fire this way because I want to think like this about that thing. I don't want to think like this, I want to think like this. Psalm 139 tells us we were created before the foundation of the world, that God knew us in our mother's womb, that there is intentionality to his design. Ephesians 2.10 goes so far as to call you and I a masterpiece, a specificity, an epic, epic creation. We are, we didn't create ourselves. So for us to be like, yeah, so even now that I'm here, let me take control. (laughs) Maybe you're not as amused as I. (laughs) We also know this, we didn't create ourselves, and we also know this, I know we know this, that if we manipulate, cajole, or even outright bully another person to do what we want, it might have temporary gain or win, but anyone who's paying attention knows that the deeper reason we are controlling is not being met. For instance, The jealous one in the relationship, tracking location, checking the phone, limiting separate time, is that person truly getting the committed relationship that he or she desires? Or simply a fear-based complier as partner? We can't control others to make them think or feel how we want them to, even if we can momentarily get their behavior to be what we want. Yeah. All right, so for those of us that are sixes on the Enneagram or uh, strong Js on the Myers-Briggs or just really, really detailed, oriented, and responsible people, even we, on our very best and successful days, cannot account for the unforeseen and unpredictable. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? <laughs> it just means, are you tracking that we can't control? What is unpredictable? Okay, so maybe some of you are struggling with the idea of not being able to control and you're kind of stuck on it a little bit. So please don't confuse it with what we actually do have full control over. What we can control is healthy. In fact, a huge part of our lives is stewarding ourselves. Managing ourselves to leverage what makes us uniquely us for the betterment of others and the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus is our mission. We are to look at ourselves as a kind of a commodity that rightly steward, when rightly steward, is going to have great return on investment and provide great respite and joy to both self and others. It's wonderful. There's so much healthiness in and of control when we embrace the idea of stewardship of self. Are you tracking? So let's just look quickly at a list of what we can and must control if health and impact is our desire. You control your choices, your desires, your beliefs, your mindset, your decisions, your actions, your responses, your words, your contribution to relationship, your patterns, Among other things, basically, we have ultimate stewardship of our time, energy, and resources. Got it? But the limits we are here to highlight today and understand that bring blessing, though, are the limits of control we have of other people and over the unforeseen and unanticipated circumstances of our lives. And to get to that point, we have to be clear about how we all have a bent to want to make things and people go and be how we want them to. Amen? (laughs) As a matter of fact, let's just do this. Think of someone or something that right now you're wanting to change. An outcome that you're applying a lot of energy to to come to fruition or even something you just wish were different. you have it in your mind? Some of you are expending a lot of energy to try to control these things. This thing. Even in the name of being independent, organized and successful. But you're still not getting the rest and relief that you think you will unconsciously if I just get this project done, if I just get this promotion, if I just get this relationship, if I just get this new house, if I can just make these circumstances change. Can you feel it? So, (laughs) what are we to do with these urges and desires for things to go and be as we want? Well, there's a path and a posture that is clear from the Lord's vantage point. Now, I guess I just need to stop and say like, how are you doing? Because this is a little bit like another mini quiz. I want you to try to guess the path and the posture that we're sort of talking about here. So I'll give you some clues. It's where the natural grief process gets us. It's what research shows causes our blood pressure to lower. And it's what makes cortisol, the stress hormone, in the brain less rampant. And it's what causes us to be more attractive to be around. Do you know what it is? Maybe it's better just to hear it from these words of biblical wisdom, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Cease striving and know that I am God. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. The word is acceptance. So what I'm going to do is spend a minute saying it more of a worldly way and then we're going to continue saying it in a biblical way. So a a term from psychological literature that best depicts what we are talking about here is called radical acceptance. Radical acceptance can be defined as the ability to accept situations that are outside of your control without judging them. Can you see it on the screen or do I need to say it again or both? You taking it in? Radical acceptance can be defined as the ability to accept situations that are outside of your control without judging them, which in turn actually reduces the suffering that is caused by them. Radical acceptance does not mean that you agree with what is happening or what has happened to you. Mm -mm. Rather, it allows for hope to rise, which is God's always process in us, even when we try to kill hope it just keeps rising. That's because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, eternity is set in your hearts. So radical acceptance allows for hope to rise because you're accepting things as they are and not fighting against reality. It involves kind of a refusal to judge, though it does not mean, again, approval of the situation. Instead, it's a strong turning to have oneself accept reality for what it is and not getting swept away in the emotional reaction to that reality. By way of example, I have had to radically accept that I am 5'2 and will never be a supermodel according to the standards of American culture in the 21st century. <laughs> hey, but a side note, it's okay, because 500 years ago, I was a goddess. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I just missed my time. Damn it! <laughs> I can choose to radically accept that I only have sons and what that means for my life. I can, I have the choice to radically accept that my husband's an incredible man with a completely different personality and approach to relationship and emotions. (laughs) These are obvious, right? But how about our dreams that haven't come true yet? the mistakes we've made in life, the ways in which others are treating us or perceive us, radical acceptance provides a pathway through all of these things to more healthful outcomes. Psychology pioneer Carl Rogers said, Acceptance is the first step towards change. And I'm telling you, being a counselor over 30 years, I have seen this to be so true. If you want to change, acceptance has to be one of your first movements. So what is coming to mind that could possibly be life-changing for you if you just radically accepted it and stopped trying to control it? Now let's be clear, again as an aside, that radical acceptance is inappropriate in circumstances like an abusive relationship, being harassed or bullied or treated on failure, or even when acceptance actually becomes an obstacle to health in some form, okay? So radical acceptance is a skill that gets easier the more you practice it. So I just want to take a second to give you some ideas for how to start to engage in radically accepting the circumstances and aspects of your life. There are some steps to help you stop thinking about how things could have been or should be. It should be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Why couldn't it have been this way? We can get stuck there, can't we? And radical acceptance is a very healthy move that takes us to grief, but health moves us through to acceptance. So it's just sort of a process. Take what you will. If you're taking notes, it's a good time to do that. So the, so the first step, sort of aspect, sort of movement is to pay attention to what you feel resistant to or notice when you can't accept something. How can we not be friends anymore? It's just, n- no. I'm just, n- when you have some sort of like, I don't want to accept that. I, don't, I resistance to it. Remind yourself that right at this moment, that reality can't be changed. This moment. Number three, remind yourself that there are causes for this reality that are actually outside of your control. The next movement is to think about what you would do if you had already accepted what happened. Think about how it would be if you were to accept what happened. And then actually do those things that come to mind. Imagine what things would be like if you accepted the situation. And then use tools like journaling, relaxation, mindfulness practices, and self-reflection to understand the emotions that come with it. And then allow yourself to feel those emotions. Do I need to say that again for someone in a room? Allow yourself to feel those emotions. This is how we get through. If you won't allow that step, you become stuck there. And then we do all sorts of sideways behaviors to anesthetize ourselves, which is a different message. And then accept that life can be worthwhile even while experiencing pain. And then the last sort of movement is to decide to commit to surrendering to God when you feel the resistance come up again. And there it is, the beautiful invitation. Surrender. That's the ultimate place that we can live if we're willing to give up trying to control things and people. Do you hear it? When we, when we give up trying to exert our will to get an outcome we so badly want, it's to surrender. Radical acceptance is essentially surrender. And all throughout God's word we see there's so much power in surrender. Modern culture views surrender as a sign of weakness, right, doesn't it? But it's actually a wise and powerful decision. Surrendering our desires to the good plan of another person is actually astute and humble. Surrendering to the good purposes of an all-knowing and all-powerful and loving God is both wise and life-giving. Surrender is a battle term, you know. Right? It implies doing what? Giving up all rights to the victor. When an opposing group surrenders, they lay down the weapons and the winners take control from then on. Surrendering to God works the same way. God has a good plan for our lives. God has a good plan for your life. And surrendering to him means we set aside our own plans. Lean not on your own understanding. And submit to his plans. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The good news is that God's plan for us is always good. We sang about it. The the good news is that God's plan for us is always good. Do we believe that this morning? Right? Unlike our own plans, which scripture tells us in this verse, can always lead to destruction. Do you see it? Proverbs 14, 12 says what? There's a way that appears to be right. There it is again. And you can control and push your agenda and, like, you know, and even enforce your own will towards it. There's a way that seems right to you and I. No, I just got to tell them what I think about that. No, it is time for me to go into that office and blah, blah, blah. No, it is time to, like, bring our relationship this next level. But in the end, it leads to. Death," the scripture tells us. "Some place in us gets dark when we try to control. And I know you know that because of your experience of being on the other side of someone who's been trying to control. You can tell there's a darkness in their spirit. It's born out of insecurity and fear. You can tell. Our God is wise and tender and loving. Do you know that in Isaiah 30, 18, it says the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you, anybody know the word? Compassion. Is that what you understand about God when you say, dear God? that you're going to get like grace, which is like, oh, yes, my messed up kid. I love you so much. Here's all the things I could possibly give to you. And you're going to get compassion. Like, yes, I understand. That's hard. I know it's hard. That's what compassion looks like. Is this the picture you have of God? Our God is gentle, he's tender, he's kind, he shows us compassion, so why would we not want to trust such a God with our lives? Not only is he sovereign and good, he is gentle and kind and full of grace and mercy. This good and amazing God wants us to surrender to him so he can bless us. Do you know that? That's why he's calling us to surrender. Not because God is some buzzkill and his word is just a list of do's and don'ts, come on! This is our best life manual. And he wants us to surrender to like, listen, you're my created being and I promise my ways for you are good. I wanna bless you. Listen to his continual urging towards surrender that we might experience blessing. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you. Yeah. Luke 9, 24 is pretty amazing. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life, uh, uh, I need this money and these people, and I need to have the, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever surrenders, whoever loses their life on account of me, We'll find it. The very things that we are trying to control for, in some better form when we surrender to God, sort of come in the back door in ways we didn't anticipate. And I am telling you, it's a challenge and an encouragement of mine. Take him at his word on this. The things that I have surrendered to the Lord, I have been shocked at, many years later, the ways in which he's just come back around and done something I could never have imagined. And it's better if <laughs> my way would have gone forth. And I have some very good ideas. <laughs> hey, listen, can I give you another very, like, sort of nitty-gritty practical tool? Can we do that? So here's some examples of the type of statements you can use when you're trying to accept the reality of things and move forward. I just wanna give you a flavor of how this could look in real life in your mind and mine, okay? Some of you, this is gonna be what you need. Uh, Others are gonna be like, uh, what? Okay, Uh, here's one. When I fight against negative emotions, they actually get bigger. Here's another. I can't change the things that have happened in the past. Here's another, I have the power to accept the present moment exactly as it is. Here's another, I can get through difficult emotions even if it's hard. Here's one, God will see me through, God will see me through, that is his promise. Or. I'll make it through and this feeling will fade even though it feels painful right now. Or maybe this one works for you. It's possible for me to feel anxiety and still manage this situation in an effective way. Or this one, it's possible for me to accept what happened and still experience peace. Here's one, I can choose to make a new path even if I feel badly. How about this one? Hey, self, this is what you're saying. It's better to take healthy actions than to keep judging and blaming. That just keeps me imprisoned. So if that was a little too much, if those two lists were a little too much, listen to the message again afterwards or go to my website and I'll, I'll send you the written list of those things, okay? So we're going to close today, move to the closing, by understanding a significant way that we can surrender. It is by obeying God's continual commands to not worry. In my opinion, worry is just subverted energy of still wanting to be in control. (laughs) Don't you think? Thank you, those of you that are tracking. I'm going to borrow heavily from Chris Chris T. Green and his Praying in Faith devotional needs next thoughts, commenting on the life-forming words of Jesus in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, 32, it says your heavenly father already knows all your needs. In Matthew 6, 34, the first verse I ever memorized as a a young woman, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Surrendering worry is based on the reality that you and I do not have access to past or future moments. What is the only thing that is guaranteed for us? this moment everything could be obliterated in the next moment I could pass out and be done with uh, this earthly life in the next moment that is the God's honest truth and I know some of you have lived that in spades you can give thanks for the past and plan for the future but there's no point in worrying about either you can live at peace right now in this moment and deal patiently with the things in front of you that's radical acceptance instead though what do we do? We fall on humans, remove our eyes from trusting in God, and we do what? Focus on the problem and think about all the things that could go wrong, and how am I gonna fix this, and I don't like this, and I'm gonna, and instead of fixing our gaze here, it's over here, and you know you can only affix your gaze in one place. As a matter of fact, I've heard the phrase, fear and faith cannot coexist. It's one or the other. Isn't that good? For some people though, worry is the only way that you think you know how to prepare for the worst, but it's assuming that God isn't going to be there when it happens. Which is why Jesus anchored his command that I hope is still on the screen, yes, not to worry in the assurance that our Father already knows what we need before we need it. He'll be there. He'll be there in ways that you don't yet need. And when you need them, he'll be there in those ways. He will give enough grace and protection and power and provision. He will when the time comes. You don't need to lie awake thinking about it. It's all in his hands. We are being invited to live in the reality that God is in control and cares for us. Yes, bad things can and do happen, excuse me, but worry, fear, and control doesn't prevent it, does it? (laughs) Whatever happens, God is sovereign over our lives and he will not allow us to be overcome even when we are having to endure. Friends, we're being invited, even commanded, to live in peace. Uh, a quote that i came that came across my purview as I was um, uh, what 's the word preparing? thank you this week it 's this listen to it it says, Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change. <laughs> okay, again, apparently, I thought that was funny, not you all okay <laughs> mhm or I love this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Worries just don't matter. Things really are in a better hand than ours. Do we believe it? Do we believe it this morning? So hey, maybe a picture's helpful. See this picture. When we are trying to control, we are like a five-year-old clamoring for the car keys. Mm -hmm. We can throw a fit, we can scream, we can yell, we can pout, we can refuse to cooperate, we can be angry, we can pound our fists on the floor, we can even pound movement towards that parent, but never is our good parent going to hand the keys over. We can even say, I hate you and you're not good and I don't want to be your child if you won't hand the car keys over. And a good parent never will. Even if the child is threatening hatred and leaving Why? Because a good parent knows the five-year-old does not have what it takes to navigate a three-ton killing machine from their vantage point. Not, the child's not big enough, not strong enough, not developed enough, and that's us in the face and vastness of eternity, the cosmos, and the deeper realities of the kingdom of God. There is someone who is bigger and stronger and has the car keys. In this way, can't you see the truth of what Jordan told us at the outset of this series? Limits, no car keys for you. Decrease anxiety, as a matter of fact, that five-year-old can go asleep in that car, trusting the good parent to drive even if it is an awful, awful storm. How is God speaking to you through this? We're not in control, but our best life is when we can get to the place of trusting the one who is in control. So, by way of summarizing where we've been, we have control issues that come out of anxiety and fear, and when we try to control, in many ways, it ends up controlling us. In the way of controlling others or life's unpredictability, it's a myth. This is different from stewardship of self, which is having control over things we can in health and wholeness. Because of all the things that are truly out of our control, we are offered a better life, a better way of trusting dependence on God. And one way to get there is by practicing radical acceptance. I hope that's a tool you're taking for the day. Ultimately, we get there through the amazing gift of surrender, living in dependence and in trust on the one who loves us more than we can imagine, knows us better than we know ourselves, and is a version of love that exceeds all our best imaginations. This morning, we're being invited to embark on a journey of discovering the antidote to the burdensome and empty myth of control. To surrender to the God who cares for us and has an infinitely better blueprint for a life filled with joy, peace, and meaning. Radically accept and surrender to the things of God, and you'll find that surrender is the antidote to worry. Amen. You'll find that surrender is the antidote to fear. 1 John 4:18 says perfect love casts out fear. You are perfectly loved in all the ways you want and can't imagine. We'll find that surrender is the avenue to peace. We find that surrender actually studies show brings health to our bones living in trustful dependence on God. So here we are, surrendering to God's purpose, to God's perspective, to God's provision, and God's protection is a path to peace. So I know he's been talking to us through this, because most of us probably scored really well on that quiz (laughs) at the outset. And I found that it's always good to move our bodies and our minds in alignment to and in response to the Word of God. And so this morning, we're going to have a time where we do that. For those of you that want, those of you that understand that moving in conjunction with God and in response to when He's moved in you, it always brings blessing. Blessing. And so when you came in, you probably thought, What am I sitting on? I'm sitting, my suitcase is on a little piece of paper. So, yeah, there's a little piece of paper on your chair, and there's pens on every other chair. And I want you to think about maybe moving in response to God's truth this morning um, and to surrender something that you know I've been trying to control. God has a better way for me. Control is limited. Surrender is a gift. But I want you to know this, that there's buckets around the room. So there's two up here in the front and two in the back. And I'm going to make a commitment to you that this has to be between you and God. So I am going to be the only person that touches those, and I am not going to read them. There will be no one that reads these. This is between you and the one who loves you and knows you and knows your soul and knows what he's saying. Come on, just hand that over to me. I, I will keep you and I, I need this. It's, it's doing too much to you. It's controlling you. You're living, bowing down to it instead of me and it's not gonna bring you life and it's not gonna bring you freedom. So I know what I'm talking about. I know we're talking about family members, you gotta surrender. I know we're talking about things that have happened to you in your life that are still haunting you. I know we're talking about money things. We're talking about longings and dreams that are like you're obsessed with, so they're stealing your everyday life because of your obsession with them, right? So whatever word or phrase, and not everybody has to do it, but like I said, if you're willing, just, we're gonna take the next few minutes and we're gonna sing a song that depicts what happens when we surrender. So in just a second, we'll all stand. And if you wanna write down something on that sheet of paper and just be moving it to that act of surrendering, thinking you're placing it on the altar, you're placing it at the feet of Christ. He's calling you to do that. Let's, let's move together in response to a God that loves us